John chapter 13. John chapter 13 this morning, we'll be finishing up this chapter. This is, um, this is one of those passages that when you come to it and you dig into it and you, um, you evaluate it and you, you apply it to your life, and especially as, as one who is then standing before people to proclaim it, um, this is one of those passages that you look at and you say, I've got a long way to go. Um, I do not in any way stand up here this morning um, saying that I have attained what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I, I assume probably all of you are in the same boat as I am, but when you're, when you're standing before God's people proclaiming God's word, um, it's nice, to, it's nice to kind of feel like maybe you've got a handle on whatever the topic is that you're talking about. To some degree, none of us are perfect, of course. None of us um, will ever attain uh, really any of it to, to any degree of perfection before, before glory. But this is one of those things that, that we need to be reminded of often um, as we look at this passage this morning. And, and it's something that needs to be on the forefront of our mind as Christians and as the body of Christ. So as we look at this this morning, John chapter 13, we, we know that we're where? Where, where? where is Jesus and the disciples? Do what? In the upper room, doing what? Eating, eating the Passover, right? So they're eating the Passover. We typically call this the Last Supper, right? Because this is the Last Supper, that Jesus, the last Passover meal that Jesus has with his disciples. In fact, he tells them that. Um, in, uh, I think it's Luke 24, if I remember correctly. We've looked at that a couple of times recently. Um, he tells them, this is the last time I will eat this meal with you until in glory. And, uh, and so we know we call this the Last Supper. So it's a time where, where Jesus is, knows that his death is coming. In fact, he knows that his death is not just coming, <laughs> it is imminent. It is going to happen literally within hours. And so well, the process is going to start within hours. And so here is Christ's last chance before he goes through the, the trials and before he goes through the beatings and before he goes to the cross for him to speak into the lives of these men. This is his last opportunity for him to, to teach them, to give him, to give them words that will carry them through both what he's going to be going through and carry them through the time when he's gone. And we're going to look at part of that this morning. But for the next four chapters, we're going to see Christ talking to these men. In fact, this is the longest um, piece in Scripture about the Last Supper, about, the, about this last night that Jesus had with these men. Uh, most of the other Gospels, or all the other Gospels, are fairly brief. They give, uh, they'll often give the the accounting of the Last Supper. They give, uh, usually give the accounting of Peter uh, and, and, and Christ proclaiming his denial. And then they move on to uh, the rest of the story um, through you know, the garden and, and, and everything. But John gives us a very lengthy passage here, like I said, over the next four chapters, where Christ is laying out what these men need in order to continue on without him. Christ is giving them 
what they need to be the men that we later see in the book of Acts. He is giving them instruction to help them through this process. And like most of the time, of course, we're going to see that they, they don't really quite understand what's going on. They hear his words, and, and I think they understand the words that he's saying, but they, it, it, it really doesn't sink in until a few chapters later when they're in the garden and Judas comes with the army, with the men, with the high priest. And so we're here in the upper room, and Jesus is giving this instruction to these men. And we know from last week that Jesus has, has just washed the disciples' feet. He's just taken this time where they've been arguing about what? Who's the greatest, right? They've been arguing about who's, who's the greatest, who's going to be the top dog in the kingdom of God. When Christ sets up his kingdom, who's going to be number two? Who's going to be the guy right there? And, uh, and they're having this argument. And in the midst of that, Christ, not only in the midst of the argument, but even in the midst of his impending uh, death and suffering and his separation from his father, things that he knows is going to happen, in all of that, he takes the time to set aside his outer garment to take the time to, to, as the Lord and Master, become a servant, to wash the feet of the men. And we come to verse 21, which is where we're going to start today. And he has just completed this, and he's just got done telling them, look, you ought to be doing this to one another. You should be, you should be treating each other as if they are better than you. This is, not, this is not a popularity contest. This is not a, a control contest. Your, your goal is not to be in charge. Your goal is not to be domineering over others. Your goal is not to be more important than others, but rather your goal should be to serve others, just as I have served you. <clears throat> and at the end of that passage, he, did, he comes in and he says, truly, truly, uh, let, me, let me scoop back up to um, verse 17. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate, at my, ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus begins to foreshadow at the end of the passage we looked at last week the fact that someone there in this room who sat at this table, whose feet I just washed, is going to betray me. And he, and he, he kind of starts off with that prophecy. So it, it's, I mean, I can understand how it could be, you know, maybe a little bit vague. But as he's, as he's saying these things, we get to verse 21. It says, after saying these things, Jesus, has Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So he just clarifies it right there. He's, he kind of gives them the, the prophecy at first and says, you know, you're going to know that I am who I said I am because of this prophecy. Because, you know, somebody is going to betray me. Somebody who has eaten my bread is going to betray me. And, and here we see that he's then grieved. I can almost see just the weight of everything that is going on coming down on him. 
And he's trying to communicate to these guys what's going to happen. And he, and he just comes out and bluntly says it, truly, truly, one of you is going to betray me. It's going to be one of you. One of you 12 guys who are sitting here, lying here at these tables. One of you who have spent the last three years with me, who have seen the miracles that I've done, who have heard the words that I've taught. One of you are going to betray me. And how did they react? They're a little shocked. If you read, verse, John tells us in verse 23, or verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. So I kind of get the picture. They're, you know, they're, they're lying there. They've, they've had this conversation. Maybe it's even already kind of quiet after the whole feet washing incident. You know, Jesus has been saying something. So maybe they're just kind of listening <laughs> And all of a sudden, Jesus is proclaiming, one of you guys is going to deny, is going to betray me. And they're just kind of looking around at each other. <laughs> like, who is it? <laughs> Who's going to do it? Is Thomas, you know? And, and we know in other passages, tells us, tell us that they were not just looking at each other, but they were even asking, Lord, is, is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And in fact, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting you put these passages together, but... Even Judas himself says to Jesus, is it I? And Jesus actually responds to him. Anybody know what he says? Just off the top here. Basically he says, you said it. <laughs> That's the Welsh version. Uh, he basically says, you said it. <laughs> and, and yet in all of this, there's, there's still this confusion. There's still this, uh, this wondering, what in the world is going on? Who is it going to be? We don't get it. And I, and I think there, there's an interesting part of this passage that I never really noticed this before. Um, as I've read, I've read this, I mean, who knows how many times I've read through this passage, but there's it, a very interesting um, sequence of events here. And I want you to just kind of pay attention to what's going on because I don't know why Jesus did it this way, but he did. And so they're here, they're here laying at the table. Everybody's looking around at each other, maybe kind of giving each other the stink eye. You know, I bet it's you. You know, Thomas, you're kind of a doubter. Of course, he hadn't done it yet, but, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I, I, could probably, I can kind of see them, you know, evaluating each other. Man, maybe it's, maybe it's him. I don't, you know, he, he doesn't talk very much. Maybe it's that guy over there. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing, but we do know that they were looking at each other. They were trying to figure out who it was. They were asking if it was them because obviously none of them felt like they were going to betray Christ. And, and so they're looking around. And in verse 23, it says, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. Now, this phrase that, that is given here about this disciple is, whom Jesus loved. Now, did Jesus love all of his disciples? Absolutely, right? John 3.16 tells us he loves the world, right? He loves everybody, all right? This wasn't like his, his, his only dude. You know, all these other guys, they were just kind of hanging around, but he loved, he loved this guy. And this is actually a reference that John gives to himself. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of uh, details about that. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of uh, conjecture as to what that looked like, why John referred to himself like that. Um, we don't have time to do that this morning, but, uh, but it's an interesting thing to go, to go read uh, some opinions on that. But what we do know is John is referencing himself. He's talking about himself as 
uh, as the one who is sitting, laying right there next to Jesus. So John is, is one of, if not the closest person to Jesus, proximity-wise. And so he's, he's sitting there next to him in verse 24. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Now, has anybody here ever played baseball? We got some baseball players. All right. I know, I know you guys, you play, and Andy kind of coaches. Andy, do you guys use signs? Okay, you use signs. So Andy's got these, you know, weird, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, he's got these weird signs and symbols and, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what you do. But he's got these, these signs that to tell Drew or to tell whoever else on that team is doing something what they should do, whether I want you to steal or I want you to take a pitch or I want you to, you know, swing away, whatever, whatever the signs mean, you know, please don't lose it for us. I don't know. I don't know what the signs mean. But there's, there's secret signs, and they're given out to the team. Only the team knows them. And so um, Andy's going to sit there, and he's going to give a sign to Drew to tell him what he wants him to do. Hopefully, the other team doesn't know what the sign means. All right? Because he, it's just it's, it's something secret. It's something just to kind of to get his attention, to let him know this is what I want you to do. Parents this morning probably have a sign even while you're sitting in church. You know, maybe you've got a child who is not behaving exactly the way that you would want them to behave. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, you probably don't even have to make a noise. You can just look down the row, you know, and, and maybe, it's a, maybe it's a stink eye, you know, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a finger or, you know, one of, one of my favorites is I'll look at them and then look up, like, pay attention, you know? I mean, they, they kind of get it. And, and it's not something that you even have to talk about. They naturally know what you're trying to say, right? They naturally understand, dad wants me to pay attention, or dad wants me to sit up, or mom wants me to stop picking my nose, or whatever it is, right? And so they, they naturally get it. it it's, it's innate. There's that communication that you have back and forth. You don't even have to plan it like you do on a baseball team. And here we have Peter, and he's, he's not closest to Jesus, but he's, you know, he's just gone through this process where Jesus has washed his feet. He's even said to him, you know, he, he's like, Lord, I'm all in. You know, if, if it takes the feet washing to keep me as, as one of your followers, wash my head and my hands also. Do, do everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's like, I, it's not me. I know that for sure, but I want to know who it is. I can kind of imagine maybe Peter wanted to have a little talk with whoever it was. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's just my own conjecture. But, uh, but Peter's like, I, I want to know who this is. And so what does he do? So in verse 24, he motioned to him, talking about John. He motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So he just kind of gives, he gives John this little secret, you know, or whatever it was. I don't know what it looked like, you know, but he made some motion to John to say, hey, you're close to him. You're right there. Ask him who it is. All right. And so what did John do? He asked him. He says, so the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, I think this is really interesting. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. I don't know why Jesus did this, but it's, it's just interesting to me that John leans back against Jesus, all right? This was not, hey, Jesus, who is it, right? He says, he leans, he leans back against him. He says, who is it, Lord? Who is it? 
And for some reason, John apparently has a close enough relationship with Christ that Christ reveals to him who it is. He reveals to him who it is. This was not something that, that Jesus said publicly. John didn't say, hey, who is it, Lord? And Jesus didn't say, it's the guy I'm going to give the bread to. That's not what he did. This was a private conversation. John's leaning, John's leaning into him and he's saying, who is it, Lord? And we see there in the next verse, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot. So Jesus doesn't tell him directly who it is, but he says, look, it's the guy I'm going to give this piece of bread to. And so we have this kind of private, <laughs> private passing of information. And, and I think it's, it's important to note that while John had maybe some inside information on who was going to betray Jesus, he didn't know when. He didn't know when Judas was going to betray Jesus. It's a lot of J's. He didn't know that it was going to happen that night in just a few hours. He just knew that Judas was going to be the one. Jesus revealed that to him. And I don't know why. It's interesting. But yet God had, Jesus had some special relationship. We're going to see later on in the book of John that Jesus asked John to do something special. Does anybody know what that is? Take care of his mother. Out of all the 11 disciples, he asked John. So to some degree, there was some relationship between Christ and John that was maybe a little bit deeper. Maybe there was something about John um, that had changed since the time when he wanted to sit on the right hand or the left hand of Christ. I don't know. Maybe he'd grown um, more than the others. We don't know what it was, but Christ had a, a little bit different relationship with John. And so he gives John this sign to know who was going to betray him. But yet, John didn't know when. And so we see here that, that Jesus gives the morsel to Judas, and, and Judas takes it. And I need to move quickly because the more important stuff is later on. <laughs> Judas takes it, and he, the Scripture says in, in verse 27, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Now, I think that's interesting that John says this. He says, no one at the table. No one means no one. And I think even though Christ gave that information to John, he didn't know why Judas got up. And so Judas gets up after all this teaching, after all this, or this, all this prophecy basically saying, somebody's going to betray me. You'd think maybe somebody would have put two and two together. But there's so much going on in this last night that Jesus has with these men. There's so much going on that it doesn't register with them. They don't, they don't put two and two together. They don't make that connection. Instead, they just see Jesus saying to Judas, do what you're going to do. Do it quickly. And Judas gets up and he leaves and he goes out. And then, and they don't know what he's doing. They, they make some speculations. Well, maybe he's going to buy something we need. Well, maybe Jesus wants them to go feed the poor. They don't know. They don't understand what is about to happen. Just four chapters later. They don't know 
that they're going to go to the garden. And from that point on, their lives are going to change. They don't, they don't know. They don't get it. And even John, with his knowledge of who it is, doesn't really know why Judas gets up and leaves. <clears throat> Verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him and himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus tells them, the time, the time is here. The time has come. Now is the time when God is going to be glorified through me, through the things that I am about to do, and I am going to be glorified through him because of my obedience to his will. So there's going to be mutual glorification, which makes sense since it's God. So Jesus is going to glorify God by becoming the redemptive lamb, and God is going to glorify him as the one who has fulfilled all the prophecy, as the one who has become our savior. And God is going to glorify him. And we know later God's going to raise him up and God is going to give him his glorified body. And so Jesus is saying, now is the time, guys, and I am about to go somewhere where you cannot follow. And a lot of times, we you know, we think of heaven, <laughs> which that's part of it, but part of it is the cross. He's about to go through trial and, and separation from God and crucifixion and death before he even gets to glory, before he even ascends back into heaven with the Father. But he says, guys, just a little time. I've got just a few more hours with you. Just a little bit of time. If you knew how much time you had left on earth, how important would it be to you to make sure people knew specific things? I'm not talking about your Facebook password, all right? I'm talking about real life stuff. How important would that be? And here's Jesus and he says, guys, knowing that the one who is about to betray him is gone. He's there with just the other 11. He's there with just the ones that he knows are going to follow through, the ones that he knows are going to be faithful, the ones that he knows are going to turn the world upside down. And he says, guys, I'm only here for a little bit longer, and I've got some things that you need to hear. And he starts off with a new command. He starts off with a new command. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus says, I give you a new command. A new command? I thought there were only two commands, right? Somebody asked Jesus earlier in his, in his ministry, he said, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself right? Upon all these two, upon these two hang all the laws of the prophets, right? So he says, there's two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All right? Pretty simple, tough to do. <laughs> and then he says, but I've got a new command for you guys. For you 11, for you faithful few, I've got a new command for you. He says, not just love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another 
as I have loved you. See, this isn't loving God, and it's not even loving your neighbor. This is specific. This is specific to followers of Christ. Love one another. And he, he's raising the bar here. Did you notice that? He's raising the bar. It's not just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's hard enough, you know. And it's not just love your neighbor like you love yourself. But he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it another step. Love one another how? Like I loved you. Jesus is saying your love for one another within the body of Christ should be exactly the same love that I have loved you with. What type of love is that? Well, what's he about to do? Greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friend. Jesus is about to lay down his life, not just for his friends, for his enemies. And he says, I have been with you for three years. I have taught you. I have fed you. I have been with you through the storms, literally. I've calmed the seas. I have shown you what grace is. I've shown you what love is. I've shown you what truth is. I have loved you in a way that you've never seen before, sacrificially. You know, we even come to this morning, we, we celebrate mothers. You know, we, and we look, at, we look at the love that a mother has with a child. And we think, that's love. You know, there is, there is something about a mother's love for a child. It, it never dies. It never goes away. You know, no matter how wayward the child may be, it, it, never, it never goes away because there is an innate love that God gives to mothers. And you know what? The love that Jesus is talking about is even greater it's perfect love. It's love that is sacrificial. It's love that is forgiving. It's love that says, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're not perfect, <laughs> but that's okay because you're my brother or sister in Christ. It's love that says, you know what? I love you too much to let you continue down a path without speaking into your life. It's a love that says, you know what? I'm going to give everything that I have and that I am to help you grow. That's the love that Jesus is talking about. Why is this so important? He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me read that again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know what? We like, especially here in America, we like to tell people that we're Christians, do we not? You say, what do you mean? I, I, I don't go out on Soul Winning Tuesday <laughs> or Saturday or whatever it is, you know. Um, but we do. We like, to, we like to put the fish on the back of our car or maybe a special bumper sticker, right? We like to... Uh, we like to build big church buildings with crosses and steeples. We like to go stand on a street corner and with signs and, and words and say, stop killing babies. We like to go stand in line for two hours at a fast food restaurant to support them for being against gay marriage. But yet, 
even inside the church, there's fighting and bickering and anger. Jesus isn't just calling us to a love of camaraderie. He's calling us to love one another, I guess he did. And he says, if you want the world to know that you're my disciples, it's not about a church building. It's not about an Awana program. It's not about how many backpacks we can pack for kids. It's not about how many men we can get to the men's retreat. It's not even about how many doors we knock on. It's what do they see when they look at the church? And he says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. This is not a love that just says, hey, I'm glad to see you on a Sunday morning. This is intimate, knowledgeable love. This is love that gets into each other's lives, that bears one another's burdens, that sacrifices for one another. That's how the world knows that we're Christ's. It doesn't matter how many bumper stickers we put on our car. It doesn't matter how many tracks we pass out. They're looking at us. And they're deciding whether or not we really believe what we say we believe based on how we treat each other. And I'm not just talking about in this church. I'm talking about as a whole, as the body of Christ. Is there room for, for separating from people who teach doctrine that we don't believe is accurate? Yes, that's biblical. But is there room for calling names? Is there room for putting other people down? Is there room for laughing and mocking? No. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. It's not just in this church. You know, I think we have, we have a lot of good people here. We have a lot of people that do this, that are this that are getting into each other's lives, that are bearing one another's burdens, that are loving each other sacrificially. But it's not just here. It's everywhere. We need to be that way with everybody in the body of Christ. Is it any wonder that the world doesn't want what we have when we can't even show that we're Christ's disciples? Quickly wrapping this up, Peter, I don't know that he necessarily missed the commandment on love, but he's kind of caught up in what Jesus says about going away. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. You know, it's interesting. Even when I mean, you look at everything that, that Jesus is about to go through, and he says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Obviously, we think of death. We think of heaven. But in Peter's case, history tells us he was even crucified. And Jesus says, you can't follow me now. I'm about to walk a path that you cannot walk with me, but you're going to. Someday, Peter, you're going to follow the same path that I'm, that I'm about to take, just not right now. And Peter, Peter's not happy with being separated. He's got, he's got you know, separation anxiety. He says, yeah, this isn't good for me, Lord. You know, I don't, I don't think that's, that's not going to work. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why not? Where are you going that I can't go with you? I will lay down my life for you. He says, Lord, 
I don't know where you're going. I can't think of any reason why I can't follow you. In fact, I don't care where you go. I will lay down my life for you. There is no place that you can go that I'm not willing to go. And Jesus gives him a glimpse into the near future. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Kind of throws it back at Peter. Are you sure? Are you sure, Peter? Are you really willing to go that far? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Think about those words. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Peter, you're telling me you're willing to die for me, yet before morning breaks tonight, you will deny me three times. Before morning even breaks, you're going to deny me. Before that rooster crows. And we don't know, you know what that conversation looked like. We don't know if Jesus was rebuking, if he was sad, if he, you know, we don't know what that, we don't know what that facial expression, what that uh, tone sounded like. But as I look at this passage, you know, it's easy, it's easy for us to put ourselves in Peter's shoes a lot of times, I think. Um, he's kind of the outspoken representation of our own thoughts and lives. And, and as I looked at this and I looked at Peter and I thought, you know, it's really easy for us, it's really easy for Peter, they're surrounded by the other 10 guys, they're with Jesus, they're in the, in the upper room in a place of safety and security, a place of camaraderie for him to stand there and say, I will die for you. And yet, when he's standing outside the gate with the servants, with antagonistic people, he fulfills the prophecy by denying Christ. And I can't help but think about us as we come in here on a Sunday morning, even as we gather together on a, on a Wednesday night or a Saturday or Friday or whenever we get together, whether it's as life groups, whether it's as couples, whether it's as uh, small groups outside of a, the normal planned versions of what that looks like. When we are together, it is easy for us to, to be bold, is it not? We were just out there uh, at the park Friday. Friday evening for our life group. And we're out there in the public, in a park, pretty, pretty private, there wasn't many people around us, but we had a great time of just talking about the word, talking about different things. We were asking questions and talking about things. Russ kind of got a preview of the message this morning. You know? So <laughs> we, we, we had a great time and, we, and it, was, it was pleasant, it was enjoyable and, and nobody was afraid. And that's one of the things that we have freedom-wise here in America that other countries don't have. But even, even in those countries, it's easy to be bold when you're with other people of the same faith, right? It's easy to be bold. It's easy, it's easy, easy to even say or even just think, I would absolutely die for Christ. How many of you have had that thought? And yet how often do we deny him? I'm not talking about standing outside a gate when people are, are pointing a finger at us and saying, you're one of his, aren't you? I'm talking about when we're at home and we just decide, you know what? I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a wrong choice. Or we don't even think about it and we just do it. And we, we lash out in anger. Or we, uh, maybe we, we view something that we know we shouldn't be viewing. Or we uh, ignore things that we should be doing. Is that not the same thing? 
Are we not denying the one who has redeemed us? And then, you know, outside of our homes, we go out into the world. And how often do we deny him simply by keeping our mouths shut? How often do we deny him by not saying something that would reveal that we're a Christian? How often are we too afraid, even when there's nobody pointing a finger in our face? You know, it's easy for us to look at Peter and be like, man, see, you weren't as strong as you thought you were. And yet we walk around every day without antagonistic people and we deny Christ. I said this is hard. <laughs> Are we loving one another the way that Christ loves us? Or are we simply just going through the motions of church? Are we simply just coming here and sitting in a seat and listening to a message and not really investing our lives in the lives of other people? Not really loving one another the way Christ calls us to do it. And on top of that, is the world not seeing Christ because they're not seeing us loving one another? And then are they not seeing Christ because we're simply denying him in the way that we live? Maybe not verbally, but just simply based on the actions and attitudes that we have, are we denying Christ? This is a solemn passage. And, and I'll be honest with you, the next four chapters are going to be just as solemn. They're Christ's final words, final warnings, final encouragement, even a final prayer for these men that he's about to leave. And the same thing applies to us. These words that he's spoken to these men apply to us. They were, they were given to them, but they are beneficial to us as well because Christ is not here. We know that he's here as God, but he's not physically here. He's not sitting in one of these chairs. He's not up here preaching, which he would be preaching. It wouldn't be me if he were here. You know, He's, he's not here with us physically. And we're going to read about why later. We're going to study that in a little bit. But... He's not here. And Jesus has left this instruction for us to understand, to grasp hold of. Why? So that the world will know that he is who he said he was. So that the world will know that we are following someone who's not just a good teacher, but someone who is God. So that the world will see that it's not just something that we've mustered up, but it is a supernatural thing to be a part of the body of Christ. It's not just being on a membership role. It's not just walking in a church building. There's more to it. And if the world isn't seeing it through us, then they're not going to see it. If they're not seeing a group of people who love one another the way that Christ did, if they're not seeing a group of people who are living lives faithfully, not betraying, not denying who Christ was in our actions, but rather showing who Christ was. If they're not seeing that, then they're not seeing Christ. There's a song written a long time ago, not, not that long ago. It's probably longer than I think it is since I'm getting older. But uh, there's a song that I like called, I Saw Jesus in You by Ryan Hamilton. Hamilton. And the basic crux of the story is a man dies and goes to heaven and he, and he meets somebody there and that person is there and, he, and, he, and because of him he says, you know what, you lived your life and the way that you lived your life, I saw Jesus through you. Is that the way that people, is that what people see when they look at us? 
Do they see Christ in us, in the way we interact with one another, in the way that we interact with the world? Do they see Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ, and we thank you that, yes, we are redeemed. We are secure. We are saved from the punishment of our sin. And Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us here without a mission. You've given us a purpose, even after salvation, to be your ambassadors. But Lord, so often I know myself, I, I fail. I fail to live out even this command that Christ gave us, to love one another the way that you love us. Lord, help us to be the type of individuals, to be the type of families, to be the type of church where people look at us and they see a supernatural love that defies explanation, that draws them to you. That they would see people who are, who are not just going through rituals and habits, but people who are living lives devoted to you, not lives of denial. Lord, help us to learn from this passage. Help us to be the kind of people that you've called us to be. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back or, or even for the rewards in, in heaven, Lord, but so that the world will see and will know that you are who you said you are. So that your church will be built. So that people will be saved. So that you will be glorified. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Very quickly before we move on to our A&I time, I want to have the deacons take the papers if you have them. Do you have them? All right, pass them out quickly. We'll be voting on the, let me, let me read the exact wording. You can read this for yourself. But the proposal is that Liberty Hills Bible Church will pursue the sale of the church property in part or as a whole on Camille Street, utilizing the services of a commercial real estate brokerage to list the property. Simple yes or no. Again, we're just voting on whether or not we want to pursue listing the land, either in part or in, or in whole. This is not verifying that we've sold anything. <laughs> that, that will be a secondary vote later on. This is just to get the process rolling. And be praying as we, uh, as we go through this process, if we're going through this process, that, uh, that God will give wisdom, that we will have a, uh, a clear understanding of how he wants us to move forward. You have more? All right. Let's have um, Andy, if you would pray for us, and then we'll vote quickly and turn those in and get those counted. Heavenly Father, we just thank you.